Hello, and welcome to Now in Center, entrepreneurial voices from the margin. I'm your host, Karen Bartlett, and as a multiracial woman business owner, my voice hasn't been represented in the dominant narrative of the business world. The predominant voices have been privileged white, cishet male voices, and they've created a business culture rooted in extraction, transactionalism, and dehumanization. The time is now to center the voices that have been marginalized for too long. Join us to hear the stories of diverse entrepreneurs who will share what they've learned and tell it like it really is. Welcome to this week's session of Now and Center. I am with Claire Jones of Liminal Clarity today. And Claire and I actually just made acquaintances like maybe a couple weeks ago. And Claire was was leading a workshop as part of a community activation event that, that someone in my network runs. And I had the good fortune of being in a small group with her. And I feel like we just hit it off. And I don't think we were even talking about her prompt, but we like got into this other conversation and and just felt like great alignment. So Claire, thank you for being here on Now and Center. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Yeah, our vibes instantly aligned and I was like, man, we need to like record our talks. Yes. <laughs> Totally. I know. I think we've already had two conversations where we're like, we should be recording this right now. Yeah. So this time we're capturing it for all to share with us. So, and and I'm really excited to dive in deeper. I don't know you super well. And so I think this will be a fun conversation to just sort of uncover uh, whatever new ground comes up today. Mm-hmm. To start with though, I would love to have you share about your business. I know you've got your hand in several pots. So <laughs> Um, share about your business and any of the other endeavors that you're working on right now. Yeah, totally. So my main business is called Liminal Clarity, and I call myself a productivity expert and change guide for growth. And I basically use all of my years of small business experience, entrepreneurship experience to provide a stability support system for high achieving women, entrepreneurs, executives, those visionaries that are out there making a lot of impact in the world during times of change, stress, and transformation, because that's when we lose progress on the goals that we're trying to pursue. And we don't have to sacrifice our goals during those times of uncertainty that we find ourselves in, because life throws us curveballs, as we all know. And there are certain practices, wellness practices that you can use to support yourself during those times. So that's my main business. (laughs) Mm, I love it. So with that being said, one, I love that. And you're so right, like uh, curveballs, it's like nothing but, and it's, it's like one of those things I personally do my very best to just embrace the change and know it's always going to be there and it's okay. Like we are on a journey, we are not arriving. So uh, I really appreciate that. I'm wondering if you would be willing, like, like I said, I met you at the event where you were really talking about ritual. Mm -hmm. And so do you want to share more about that side of the work that you do? Because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, totally. So I see ritual as a practice that you can use to really embody your intentions and your goals. Whatever you are striving towards, ritual is a great way to embody your journey towards those goals and focus that journey towards those goals. And so rituals can be really anything, any task or activity can turn into a ritual itself. It's just the meaning and intention that you bring to that ritual practice. And it just provides us with a great, it's almost like a story structure. You know, you start with a beginning situation, you build up Mm -hmm. to the climax of the story, and then you taper off to the conclusion of the story. And that's what a ritual practice provides us with is this Because humans love story. We love sequences. Mm. We love having this intro body and outro to the things that we're doing. Our brains love it, especially when we involve physical aspects to it, tangible aspects, embodying that somatic portion of it, because that just makes it so much more powerful for our brains. And so I am a huge advocate of including ritual practices into our daily wellness 
practices as a way to hone that intention, that goal that we're really striving to align with or achieve. I love that. That's super cool. And and I'll add on top of that, if it's okay, because the context that that you were presenting inside of when I met you was really around community, community activation. And Mm -hmm. so as a person who, um, you know, here at Kite and Dart, we, we have a pretty sizable community. We do a lot of free events. We lead courses. Like we do a lot of things in community. Mm. And I thought it was so interesting to think about this idea of ritual. And, and I get you're saying wellness, right. And, Mm -hmm. and there's wellness for community. Right. And, just had never thought, I mean, I have a background in education, so I've thought a lot about being intentional about how I build community and the the way we do things. And we have a lot of rituals that we use at Kite and Dart, but did we necessarily sit down and think about, okay, like, let's make sure we've got all of the aspects of a ritual. And so that was just super interesting for me as a leader in my business to think about that. Mm-hmm. And, and also for in our internal team and thinking about what could that look like and totally. what's there and what might be missing. So mm-hmm. I'll just kind of tack that on about like a, an, a particular application that I thought was super interesting. Yeah, totally. Because rituals really help us take control over our emotional experience of a given situation. Sometimes that situation is a community. Sometimes that situation is a divorce. Sometimes that situation is, you know, these big life transitions that we go through, graduations, deaths, moving homes. And so it's really just taking control, empowering yourself to take control over your emotional experience of a given situation. And as a community leader, that's kind of your duty to curate that emotional experience that the community members are experiencing during that time in that community context. Yeah. I, it's so funny, like as you're talking, and again, we haven't talked extensively, like we've had these short little snippet of conversation and just how many words you're using that align so much to sort mm-hmm. of the words that I use, like, mm-hmm. and think about curate and transformation and transition. And earlier you said something and it, it might have been before I even pushed record. I can't remember, but you were looking, it was it kind of felt like you were looking for a word. And in my brain, I was like, oh, alignment, like uh-huh. that's the word, you know? And so it's just funny, which the the common themes in mm-hmm. terms of the work that we do, even mm-hmm. though we definitely, we definitely do different work. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, that's cool. So I'd love to ask if you don't mind, if you'd be willing to just share maybe some of the things that have been really challenging for you mm-hmm. in your business journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I started my entrepreneurial journey back in 2014. I, it was basically my middle finger to the economy at the time. I graduated into the recession with an art history degree. <laughs> mm. Yeah. During the recession, the art industry was really hit hard. And so I Mm. couldn't find a living wage job with growth opportunities anywhere. Like no matter what city I looked in, I looked across the U.S. And then I finally settled in Seattle just for the sake of settling in Seattle. And even here, I couldn't find a living wage growth oriented position. And so that was my first challenge, really. I mean, if we're going back to like the OG challenge of entrepreneurship, right. that was like, yeah. So I had retail experience for most of high school and college. And so I was like, yeah, I can run a retail store by myself. Why not? And I was really into locavorism at the time. And so I divide, decided to open up a brick and mortar general store devoted to local goods. And so everything was sourced from the U.S. with a focus on the Pacific Northwest. And starting that business up, I really didn't realize the impact of social networks at that time. I was an introverted only child of divorced parents living thousands of miles away from home. And I hadn't really learned the value that you can have or cultivate in supportive social networks. 
And so I was left doing it by myself. I had no one to really support me throughout it. My business partner ended up cutting out halfway through. And that was really the main challenge that I worked with during those days is because you need to create these community. Again, we're talking about community, these community environments where people are like, yes, we support what you're doing. We're going to talk about what you're doing. We're going to share what you're doing. We're going to give you advice and point you in the right direction. And just this collective consciousness that you can tap into through business community networks. That was really that challenge of that business. And so coming out of that, I realized that I needed to like, A, take care of myself so that I wasn't working 60 hours a week, burnt out in a white box, kind of by inventory I couldn't sell. (laughs) And B, cultivate my social networks. And that was really the lesson that I carried into Liminal Clarity when I launched Liminal Clarity in 2018. And so I spent the first two months networking. I was like, I need to create my community first and foremost and start from there. And so those are really the main challenges that I experienced in the beginning. Yes, got that. One thing I'd love to, I mean, first of all, the the wellness piece, the 60 hours, like such a, I mean, and, and our, our culture, right? It's always like work harder, work harder, do more, do more, do it by yourself, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so I, no, just yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> like, if people out there are doing that, stop. Like, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Like, so um, I so, I so understand that. And, and coming from an education background, I don't think I ever worked less than 60 hours in a week when I was teaching. Easy. But I, I also want to pull out what you said about the social network. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. And it's funny because I... I think there's a lot of ways to network for one. And Mm -hmm. I like to call that out because I think that sometimes so many people think that it's just going to literal networking events, Mm -hmm. but that there's a lot more ways that that there's a lot of other ways that that can Mm -hmm. look. Um, And I've had, I've had people, clients who have an idea and they want to do a thing, but they're like not ready to do it. Mm per se. Mm -hmm. And I always am like, go start building the community around you. Go start talking about the thing. Like go start Mm -hmm. talking about what you care about. Talk about what you're trying to create in the world. Talk about what matters to you around this Mm -hmm. and start collecting that community of people around you who are aligned to that vision. And you don't have to be ready to sell anything to start creating that community. So I really appreciate what you're saying there. And I think that's such a great learning Mm -hmm. uh, for people. You don't have to be ready to sell to go start creating the community of people around you who care about it. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately because I do have a lot of creative projects going on at the moment and some they're at different levels of gestation, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about how important it is to focus more on your messaging, your values, your vibe over what exactly you sell. Because your product and your service, you're going to have a dozen or more competitors offering probably the exact same product or service that you're offering. So you're not going to compete on product or service. What you're going to compete on is those community values, is that vibe that you create within those circles. And that is where I think a lot, too many, like the majority of business owners fail is because they focus so much on perfecting the product and service instead of perfecting the audience for the product and service. Yes. Amen. I totally agree. I totally mm-hmm. agree. And and I think it's so important. I think like one thing I'd love to call out about that is that I think that it makes sense that people do that. Yeah. Because in this capitalistic society, 
it's extractive, it's transactional. And so there, there is the overemphasis on the thing you're selling when really the way people make decisions about what they're going to buy comes more from that values alignment. Yeah, totally. And so that vibe is so, so, so important. I think the other thing that I'd call out from my experience with my previous business was that I think I was so caught up in not wanting to alienate anybody Mm. that I wasn't willing to dig in Mm. to that vibe Mm. and what I, what my real values were Mm. because I didn't want to alienate anybody. And I think that that's one thing I've learned so much in the past few years, particularly since I've come to Kite and Dart about really leaning into that and that Mm -hmm. the goal is to, it's not to alienate people necessarily in any kind of mean way, but Mm -hmm. to like help people decide Mm -hmm. if, if they align to you or not. And if you don't give them enough, they can't make that decision. So then it's just like, meh. Totally. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's what they say about sales is like sales isn't selling something. Sales is just helping them make a decision. Yes. Yes. Whatever that decision is for them, you're just helping them make it. And if you can make yourself clear in what you stand for and what you what your vibe is what your energy is because people will go to extraordinary lengths to support the people that they know like and trust yes like no matter what you're selling if you have someone that know likes and trusts you like to the nth degree they're gonna buy whatever you're putting down (laughs) yeah and so you just need to like cultivate that community of people are like You're offering this this month? Sure, I'll buy it. I'm offering this this month? Sure, I'll buy it. And so you just have like, because they know, like, and trust you, not whatever the product or service is. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, there's just so many people who have focused overly on the, just that I have to sell something. Like, just, just, I'm just here to sell something. And it's more about the bottom line and Mm -hmm. the constant, like, Like you're talking about like, oh, I'm selling this this month and this this month. And, you know, the people who the people have been so sold to in such a superficial way that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it just feels like, oh, they're always just trying to sell me the next thing. And so without that no like and trust, like buyers are buyers are smart. Buyers are discerning and. Uh, to your point, it's not even as much about what you sell as it is about what it means. But, yeah, what it means. And do they know you and trust you and and want mm-hmm. to be a part of what you've got going on? Mm-hmm. So I so yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Thank I've you. actually been thinking a lot about this lately in context of digital content creation. Okay, like, say more. I honestly think we're moving toward an economy that is more creative supporting. Yeah. I, I have a whole soapbox on this, so I'll okay. try, to, try to sum it up. <laughs> but with each passing revolution that we go through, the industrial revolution, the technological revolution, we as human beings get more and more leisure time because machines, robots, AI are taking up all of the productivity work for us. And so we get more efficiency, more productivity, and thus we get more leisure time. And we saw this specifically during the pandemic is like how many of us turned to entertainment and arts and culture to get us through that period of time. And as a result, the gross domestic national product every year and over and over is increasing for the arts and culture sector even more so than industry and agriculture combined. And it's like skyrocketed during the pandemic. And we see this specifically as a result in the rise of TikTokers, in the rise of YouTubers, in the rise of like independent comic artists. Like you no longer have to have a comic strip in a regular newspaper to succeed as a cartoonist. Now you can have an Instagram presence and succeed as a cartoonist. And we even see this going back to our previous point of communities with the rise of influencers, like because people get attached to these particular influencers, to these particular public personas. And so it doesn't really matter what they're selling. 
They could be selling essential oils. They could be selling makeup. They could be selling sweatpants. Whatever they're selling, we're probably going to buy it because we like that person. And so we're really moving into this like era of these personal brands. Like you're not really selling a particular product or service or creative object output item, but more so I'm selling my vibe. Yes. So true. And here's, here's a really tangible example of that. I mean, it's less about like sort of the influencer culture and stuff, but Mm. even so I have two daughters in their late teen years and (laughs) this is top of mind because so it happens to be May, 2022 as we're recording this and for holiday gifts, we gave experiences. So Mm -hmm. concerts, show tickets, that kind of thing. We gave it to our children, to each other, to some of our extended family. We just had a weekend where we had you know, our kids and their cousins, and we went to a concert and then we went to Meow Wolf and, you know, it was, it's, and then this coming weekend with the different set of cousins, we've got Mm -hmm. another concert. We're going to see the Banksy exhibit. Like it's just Mm -hmm. this whole month of May, I think in total, my, my kids will have gone to something like, I don't know, six or eight concerts. Wow. Three different art showings. We did. I don't think we've actually had a play. But those, I think, are coming in the fall. So, <laughs> but it's just, so I, I really appreciate what you're saying and, and think that, like, that's true. I'm, I'm sick of buying stuff. Yeah, I don't right? Need stuff. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't need an air fryer. I don't need a Instapot. <laughs> like, right. I don't need all of this stuff filling up space in my home. <laughs> like, I've yeah. got a limited amount of space that I'm working with here. And I'd rather have these experiences. Like I am constantly amazed by the amount of YouTubers and TikTokers who are just making bank. And like my perfect example is this one TikToker. He's a teenager guy. I think he's around 19 at this point. And for however long he's had this TikTok account, he basically just does daily videos of the food that he ate for the day. And he will do certain themes So like one day will be all green food or one day will be like only Wendy's or one day will be like only gummy foods, you know, and he just like has these video montages of him consuming these themed food categories each day. And he's made so much money doing this that he's literally skipping college and bought a Tesla to road trip around the U.S., so that he can do like state themed food days. Wow. Yeah. And that's his lifestyle. <laughs> My goodness. Yes. Like the creative and outfit. The creative outfit doesn't have to be like groundbreaking. It doesn't right. have to be revolutionary. It doesn't have to be like anything. Like I see channels of people who are just like planting vegetables. I see channels of people who are just sitting in silence for five hours. There's a YouTuber that literally just posts videos of him sitting in silence for five hours. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, okay, this is a curiosity that's coming up on this point. Like you talked about how you feel like this is really coming to be because of how we don't need to be as involved mm-hmm. in production anymore mm-hmm. with with manufacturing and AI and that kind of thing. And that makes perfect sense. Totally got it. But what I'm wondering about as we're having this conversation is, and this is not even related to business, but like, <laughs> is people's desire to be entertained so much of the time at all about like escapism mm. and right? That like, there's so much happening in our world right now that is uncomfortable, Mm. that is traumatic, Mm. that is all these things. Like, are people just trying to escape also? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think that's definitely a contributing factor. It's funny because I kind of you know, what's coming to mind right now is I was trying to think of like historical examples of this, like, is it unique to this time period, essentially? And what I started thinking about was like traveling circuses, like 
more and more our social media profiles, our business presences are essentially mm. traveling circuses. <laughs> like we just put on a show. Yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it doesn't really matter what the attractions are at the end of the day. It's just that people go there to fulfill a need, to be yeah. entertained, to feel better about themselves. I mean, that's really the underlying motivation that most consumers are seeking is to feel better about themselves. And yeah. whether that means escaping with entertainment, whether that means personal development through self-help, whether that means hiring a better financial advisor so that your finances are in a better position, like it can yeah. apply to all different products and services, but you're pretty much just helping people feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think spot on. That's so interesting. And it's fun. I mean, I just had a great weekend. I'm so excited for next weekend. I'm like, you know, I like my work and it's super fun to go to a concert and shake my bonbon and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's, it's all those things. Mm -hmm. So interesting. I think we're just getting to the point now, though, that more people can make money off of their fun. Instead yeah. of having the money making process be like a work job thing. Now we're combining those two and being like, can we have fun and make money at the same time? Yeah. And I think we're finally at a place where we can because of the production things yeah. is like, we don't necessarily need to be involved in production anymore physically as humans. So what are we going to do with our gifts instead? Yeah. So true. So true. And I think it, you know, I mean, what I feel like the work I do is really fun to me. I mm -hmm. like it. I have fun doing it. I enjoy exactly. it. I do want to live in a world where people do get to have fun and enjoy the work they do. Yeah. That's why I do the work that I do. Cause yeah. that's what I'm always trying to help my clients with is. Yeah. How can you make your business work unique around uniquely around you mm -hmm. to match you and your gifts and your talents and your passions and the difference you want to make in the world yeah. instead of what somebody else told you you should do. Yeah. I mean, it's a total so. paradigm shift. And I don't think, I yeah. think we're the first generation to be asking that question because yeah. our previous yeah. generations, like talking about my boomer parents, like they never asked themselves, like, can I have fun in this job? <laughs> mm. See, I was raised that way. Mm. I was raised that you should, like, if you like what you do for your work, then every day you're ready to like get up and get out of bed and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're going to work. So I was raised that way. Now, sometimes I find it to be a little bit annoying because I'm like, why do I have to care so much and love mm. it so much? Like, cause then when I don't, it feels awful. Mm. I'm just not wired that way. But I, to your point, I don't think that's probably the norm at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if it's a generational question or a socioeconomic question, mm. because I can see from my like blue collar family backgrounds, it was more important to make the paycheck than it mm. was to have fun in our jobs or feel fulfilled mm. by our jobs. So I was yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, that's the question. I don't have yeah. the answer, but. Well, and I mean, it, I, that makes perfect sense. I think there is probably a certain amount of privilege of like, okay, yeah, I want to do what I love and what I care about and I have to pay the bills. And so I may just have to go get this whatever job. Mm -hmm. Got that. And it's kind of interesting because I, m my father's passed away, but I've had a lot of conversations with him since, um, you know, so the two businesses I have now are my third and fourth businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I've had, a, he was an entrepreneur. He was an architect. He was an mm -hmm. entrepreneur and he started his own architectural firm and it was tough. Mm -hmm. Like there were times where it was like, okay. And, and he was living in a time where, you know, my mom was staying at home with the kids, right? It was a really different, you know, generation. And, and so there were so many times where he was like, I'm going to have to go get a job. Hmm. And at what point do I have to do that? Cause we've got to pay the bills and 
my wife's home with the kids and she's not working. And, you know, so there were, there were definitely ups and downs in terms of how I was raised and our socioeconomic status. And, but I, but you're right. There is definitely a certain amount of privilege mm-hmm. that may go along with that perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm going to have to mold that over more. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So I would love to change topics a little bit and dive in. So, so thank you for sharing about like what some of those big challenges were. I'd love to ask if there's anything we really focus here at Now and Center on bringing in voices of business owners that have been historically excluded Mm. from the conversation around Mm. business. So are there any identities that you'd like to share with us and how they may have affected your your experience as a business owner. Yeah, totally. I am a bisexual white woman and but the identity that I get most I guess misunderstanding around is the woman in business identity. Like I cannot count the amount of times that I've been mansplained, that I've been condescended to, that I've been dismissed, disregarded, diminished for any number of reasons, but lately it's actually been showing up a lot with random men hitting it on me online, on my business profiles. And I don't think that happens to men in business of what I know. (laughs) Anecdotally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so ick. Mm -hmm. So ick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me, like, is there anything, just because you've been in business for a while, you've had multiple businesses, I know that that there's sort of this new increased aspect with the social media increase mm-hmm. that you've been getting, but what, do you, what have you learned about that or what do you do with that? Do with the obstacles around the identity portion? Yeah, yeah. Just with how you're treated. I mean, because yeah. I, I think that your experience is incredibly common totally. for women in business, period. So. Yeah. I mean, I've tried a variety of things. I mean, when I was first starting out, I mean, this is true pre-entrepreneurship as well, just in like the job market and the career aspect is like, well, maybe if I just come off as more professional, they'll take me more seriously. Mm, Yes. And I kind of had to learn that, especially into my entrepreneurship journey, that it didn't matter how professional my headshot looked. (laughs) It didn't matter how big of words I used in my copy. It didn't matter how structured my offerings were or how much my offerings were. None of those contributed to people taking me more seriously or less seriously. Like on some level, yes. But I found myself just chasing this unattainable ideal without really realizing that you cannot control how people perceive you and your time and energy trying to control that is wasted energy. And that's really the biggest lesson that I had to learn in terms of public presence as a woman in business. And I'm still learning that lesson today. Like that's one of my recent growth curves that I've been working on is like, how authentically can I show up in a way that magnetizes people to me, that draws people to me, that finds people that align with me without being considered like messy or wild or this As women in society, we often get typecasted as the emotional, hysterical, crazy ones of any relationship. And as a very unique, forward-thinking, creative individual, I've had to fight against that typecasting a lot. Is like, I'm not wildly imaginative because I'm a woman. I'm just wildly imaginative period and so I'm still navigating those contexts I guess yeah so true I think uh, it's just so interesting right like there's this it's just such a 
supremacist culture, right? Like white supremacist, male supremacist, like it's just, here's the standard, right? The standard in business is cis, white, het, male of a certain socioeconomic class. Mm -hmm. And the further removed you are from that because of any particular identity, Mm -hmm. that pull to, I have to live up to that ideal. I have to, you know, Mm -hmm. make that ideal. And I I think that now we at least have a conversation for that. That doesn't have to be the ideal, but we're Mm -hmm. still fighting against a really, really long history. Totally. Of that being that ideal. And, and it's also just, it's just a thing. Like my business partner and I talk about this all the time that like, I could, I could, show up in a different way, even just physically, right? Like you're saying that more professional, I could wear way more makeup. I could do my hair. I could straighten my hair. I could do whatever with my hair. I could wear different. I mean, I'm in a sweater today. Yeah. Like it's rainy and dreary here. I'm like, I'm putting on a sweater, like, but I could put on a button up or a blazer or whatever. And, and I could probably make more money, but I'm so not willing to do that. So not, it's not authentic to me. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that, that now we can even have this conversation mm-hmm. and, and that we don't have to put up with it anymore, even, especially the getting hit on thing like that is so yeah. I cannot even take it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the big controversy that surrounded Sheryl Sandberg's lean in book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've read it, but there was a huge backlash because she kept advocating for us to form ourselves into our masculine counterparts in order to succeed in the workplace, like lean in, become more masculine and succeed. Yeah. And there was a huge backlash because while she was advocating for women's success, she was advocating for it in a way where we wore a mask or created this facade or tried to cookie cut ourselves into this predefined version of success, which is the white cis het male version that you referred to. And like, if I have one more person quote Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Bill Gates to me, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Period. Like, why are they the only three people that we routinely return to for inspirational business quotes? Like, why? Yeah, done with that. Yeah. I'm going to also call out Tony Robbins here. Like, I'm a a consultant, but a coach too. Every time I see Tony Robbins get quoted, I'm just like, yeah. We can also add Dave Ramsey to the list. Like, Yeah. There's a lot we can, I mean, but yeah, Yeah. it's, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I, I, I did not finish lean in because once I kind of figured out what was going on, I was like, no, I'm just, and to your point, like, yes, women's success and all of that, but like not by conforming to some standard that, you know, I'm, I'm done with that. So, yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing that story and, and, you know, how you're approaching that. And I, me too. And I really, you know, most, the vast majority of my clients are women or femmes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just be you, like you can be you. And I get that it's hard, but like, it's, it's not to me, it's not only about what I sell, you know, it's yeah. about making a difference and creating a different world Yeah. so that my kids who happen to be female don't have to put up with that crap Yeah, when they're my age, you know? So not that I have to put up with it a whole lot at 51, but you know, (laughs) so I'm curious just to, um, usually we, we throw in a little coaching conversation here. Mm -hmm. And so, and I feel like it pulls together some of these different pieces because one of the things you said that you were kind of working through right now has to do with this increased visibility on social media, now we've brought in the sexism piece and and how to use that to to grow your business. So mm-hmm. will you share anything you'd like to share about that? We'll have a quick little conversation about that. Yeah, yeah, totally. So my because of the various 
masterminds that I've joined in the past year and the strategies that I've been implementing, my sky, my social media presence has been skyrocketing. Like I currently have 600 Facebook friend requests sitting in my wow. Facebook waiting for me to filter through them all. And that's like a weekly occurrence for me now. Yeah. Yeah. And because I've also started doing Instagram reels as well, this is where the sexism portion comes into it. I'm getting a much broader, much more international exposure from my Instagram reels and they're very spirituality related. I talk about moon phases and I talk about tarot in those Instagram reels. And lately I've been getting a lot of comments from men in other countries either telling me that I'm beautiful and that they want to get with me or telling me to shut the F up because mm. they don't agree with my, uh, I, I don't know what they don't agree with. They just tell me to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm Sorry, like, Sorry, you have boobs. Shut up. Right? <laughs> I don't right? know. And so it's kind of this double-edged sword of like, yes, I have all this increased visibility, which brings a lot of opportunities and a lot of, you know, fruitful potential. But at the same time, I'm also grappling with a lot of, A, people telling me what they think I should be doing, even though they know nothing about me, and B, creepy men from other countries telling me things. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So first of all, like when I guess one comment I would just kind of make is that I feel like I'm not saying that any of the unwanted advances and that kind of thing is is a good thing or something you want, but I do feel like when we're being really authentic with how we're showing up anywhere, social media or otherwise, that it is, it, it, it does become that sort of line in the sand mm. of the people who agree and the people who don't. Mm-hmm. So one thing I just say is like, good for you that you're showing mm. up in these ways with pieces that, you know, maybe weren't part of what you were putting out there before, but that are authentic to who you are. Kind of back to that conversation about like really putting your vibe out there and helping totally. people to see and know. So part of me feels like as soon as you start getting the haters, mm-hmm. like, good job. Yeah. Like you're helping people decide. It doesn't mean that you want them to be super nasty about it, but at least then, you know, and you can be like block, delete, unfriend, like whatever different things. I guess what I'm wondering is as you think about it, there's probably not a whole lot to do to stop those things from happening. Mm -hmm. And that the more important thing is on the other side of it, the people who are aligned to you and what are you doing with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think the thing that I'm grappling with right now, like I've actually become a lot less structured in the way that I'm filtering through like all of these Facebook friend requests that I'm getting, for example, cause I have a, over the years I've developed like a predetermined DM template that I usually filter people through to be like, okay, are you actually here to see me or are you here to sell me something? (laughs) Right. Right. Because I would say like 80% of this increased visibility that I'm getting in my audiences is people seeing me as a potential customer of theirs. Mm -hmm. And so I've definitely become a lot more because it's really like this abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset yeah that's what we're grappling with here is like am I feeling like I need to people please all of these people that are coming into my audiences that's a Mm. scarcity mindset versus the people who vibe and align will magnetize to me in the right ways at the right times And I've been transitioning those mindsets over the last two months now, now that I've had this increased visibility and being like, all right, how do I want to interact with it? Yeah. So I'm curious, when we were talking before, before we hit record, right, you were feeling like this is kind of this thing that you've been grappling with and you've been looking at this for some time and like, what do I want to do with this? And you were feeling pretty good about the direction you're going. And I'm just curious if you would be willing to share and not from the standpoint, like 
I'm, I'm really, I'm really over the shoulds and supposed tos in business. Mm, right. So like your answer isn't necessarily somebody else's answer. And that's not what I'm trying to promote here, Mm -hmm. but like, what is it that like, what clarity do you have around it? And just to see kind of like, it's more about like the approach, right. Or helping Mm -hmm. people see what their, what their truth is and what's right for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's kind of a abundance mindset versus scarcity yeah. mindset. I mean, that's, that's the first approach, but yeah. in terms of like how I'm planning on capitalizing on this and like mm-hmm. taking it further is really focusing on content in a way that polarizes yeah. these audiences because I don't want everyone and their mother in my community that's not that's the scarcity mindset of yeah. i need as many as people it's a numbers game really yes that's the scarcity mindset but the abundance mindset is like i just need to focus on this vibe i need to focus on this community i need to focus on my values and really leaning into vulnerable character content that's really where I'm going with all of this is like, all right, now that I have the visibility to work with, now I need to galvanize or hone that specific subset of that audience who are like, hell yes, (laughs) yes, to everything that I put out. And that's where I'm focusing my efforts now more so than in the beginning of all of this. Yeah. And I love that. And I I think kind of back to the comment you made about sales before that the sales isn't about making a sale. Mm -hmm. It's about helping people decide yes or no. Mm -hmm. And so what I hear is that like with that really, you know, narrowing in, focusing in, like really knowing who you're speaking to, what you're speaking to, you know, that message that that helps people self-select in or out totally and getting like a hell no is better than a maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or a, I don't know. Cause yeah. I don't know enough about you. Yeah. Right. And so in, in getting to the place of hell, yes, you're going to get hell no's as well. And you're going to get those haters and that that's okay. Yeah. And, and I think what I'm really hearing is that coming from this abundance mindset and getting to that place of getting the hell yes, there's going to be some hell no's and you oh, don't yeah. care. You don't have to please them. Totally. And like, it's just okay. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they're going to self-select out. But the mm-hmm. ones who who end up there, mm-hmm. they may have lots of nasty things to say about it, but who really cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the long run, the hell no's are actually a blessing in disguise. Totally. Because yeah. I'm not wasting time on them anymore trying to figure out whether they're a yes or a no. Yep. If they can self-select themselves into those categories on their own, then I waste less time. (laughs) Yes. Trying to drag them across the finish line. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's so important. I think it's such a great, great, great point to be, you know, bringing out to anybody who isn't there yet. Mm -hmm. Then you're doing yourself a service and you're doing them a service as well. Yeah. By letting them know. I mean, that's why around here we talk about white supremacy culture mm-hmm. and the, the, I mean, we're business consultants and we talk about the nastiness of capitalism, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not for everybody. And so I think that that's, that's really great. And it does mm-hmm. make it a lot easier to just like ignore the ones who, the haters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to be a business consultant as well. That was one of the offerings that I've done over the years. And ever since I switched to the more like ritual focus, spirituality, wellness focused offerings, it instantly filters out the people. Like I spend a lot less time in useless networking conversations now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. At Kite and Dirt, we we call it, you know, brands that have teeth, Mm, right? And so I, you know, to the listeners, I encourage you, like what I hear from you, Claire, is that your brand is getting more teeth. And yes. so dig in on that. It That was hard for me mm-hmm. oh, as a people pleaser and mm-hmm. someone who had to be good. Oof, that was hard. Took yeah. me a long time to get there. 
Yeah, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. Like we need a people pleaser AA. (laughs) Yes, seriously. Yes. And perfectionism. They could be tied together. But yeah, totally. Totally. Awesome. Okay, I have two more questions for you. These are quick, quick questions. The Mm -hmm. first one, and I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this, but we talk a lot about entrepreneurial activism. And Mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear, what does that mean to you? Mm, That means putting profit towards things that matter. Or put, like, not even profit, but your resources, I think, towards things that matter. Because we're even talking about, like, voting with your dollar. I'm a huge fan of making sure that the purchases that you're making are intentional and strategic, more so than just blindly buying whatever. Like, if you have a choice to buy a computer from Best Buy versus buying a computer from a local computer shop, I'm going to go with the local computer shop. Because I know that my money is going to be better spent with them than at Best Buy. And so when I think of an entrepreneurial activism, I think it's just using your resources for the greater good, more so than just for straight up profit. Yeah, love that. Thank you. Last question, Claire, is would you share one or two links Uh, If people, I'll put them in the show notes, but if people are just listening and they want to be able to find you or connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, all of my links can be found at my link tree. So just do link tree slash liminal clarity and liminal clarity can be found on all of the major platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, I'm all over the place. (laughs) Great. I love it. I know I'm I'm definitely all over the place. So I love that. Claire, thank you so much for being here with me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for sharing just all of the wisdom that you've garnered in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, my pleasure. I love having these conversations because you're right. We tend to feel alone as entrepreneurs and we need to hear that other people are experiencing the same things we are. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I know your time is precious and you're really busy crushing it in your business. Learn more about how to connect with me and my guest in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the conversation, please rate, review, and subscribe and share it with another business owner who may also be tired of getting gaslit in the business world. This podcast was produced by the Kite and Dart Group in collaboration with Karen Hibner at Public Good Media. Learn how to connect with Karen in the show notes. If you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business using DEIJ informed strategies and joining a powerful community of like-minded entrepreneurs, visit kiteanddartgroup.com. You can also check out the show notes to learn how to connect with me one-on-one. I wish you connection, abundance, and liberation in business and life.